Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the CMPU, in association with 898 Authentic Rock and Roll, proudly present the Ultimate Catalog Everyone, and my name is Kevin Brown, and I am one of the co-hosts on this brand new podcast that is called Ultimate Catalog Clash. I'm joined tonight by my good friend who lives a little bit away from me down south in the same province, who is the hardest working podcaster in Canada, Corey Morissette. How are you doing tonight, Corey? Hey, I'm doing fantastic, Kevin. I've, I've been, you know, I, is, I don't do enough podcasts, is what I've been told. <laughs> but I, I'm sitting there thinking this whole time, like after listening to your shows, it's like, how the hell do I get? Kevin and, and me to do a podcast like I don't I don't need to be on the air anymore people are sick to death of my <laughs> shit but it's like I, I just want to hang out with Kevin like, like one night a week and we came up with this with this great idea together and thought of the, the, the perfect format uh, for me and my buddy Kevin uh like you said Saskatchewan uh, native three and a half hours apart uh we get to hang out have a beer on a Monday night and record a, a great podcast about great music yeah, and so what we're going to do, what we decided, if you remember, Corey, is we said instead of just deep diving on one artist, it'd be kind of fun to sort of spread that around. And that's one great thing about your Backtracks uh, theme music podcast is you get to talk about lots of different artists. So we sort of said, well, why don't we pick the catalogue of one artist and do one album at a time, and each episode will be one side of that album. And so what we're going to do is we're going to grade that side of the album on three metrics, which is music, lyrics, and production. So we're going to give 10 points to lyrics, 10 points to music, five points to production. So we each get a score of 25 for each side of the album. And so eventually we'll end up with a score out of 100 for the whole album. Now, we wanted to put a little bit of a twist in here. And so one of the things we're also going to do is Corey and I are both going to choose one album from the catalog that we're discussing. And whichever one of those two albums gets the highest cumulative score, that person gets to then pick the next artist that we speak about on the podcast. So it just has a little bit of jeopardy in Exactly. And we're, we're both competitive folks. Uh, but uh, uh, I was just thinking, uh, as you're kind of explaining it there, uh, you know, that that's a great idea in theory, but it's it's kind of easy. Whoever gets to pick first uh, kind of can, can pick like the biggest album uh, out of the catalog that we're covering. Right. So yeah. maybe we just eliminate the biggest album, like the, the highest selling album or the one that's kind of oh. considered the best. And you have to pick from the other albums. So in this case, we haven't even announced who the band is yet. But there's one particular album I'm thinking, Kevin, that you and I are both thinking about that we would both like to pick uh, in, in terms of who is probably going to be the winner of this ultimate catalog clash. So maybe we just take that one out of the equation. Well, you know, it's funny because we did talk about this offline. We won't reveal what album that is or what the artist is yet, but it's not the album. It's not my favorite album in this part well, of this band's catalog. But it is probably their most popular. But, oh, by far. I mean, it's by far the hugest selling. I mean, <laughs> when we get to that, they it broke records. It's, it's an incredible album, right? But... It, I don't know if it's creatively the one that I would go with, but okay. Well, uh, you, you're a little bit outside the box, so uh, I'm not surprised to hear you say that. Uh, I'm a little <laughs> more straight and narrow. I, I may go with that one if it was still in play. Well, we should talk about that. We talk about that. So, what is your background musically, Corey? What did you grow up listening? I mean, I know folks who listen to your other three podcasts and people who listen to mine, but they'll know some of our tastes. But what generally do you tend to listen to when you when you're pulling a CD off the rack? You know, it's it's almost a little bit of everything. Uh, I'm not a musician. I'm kind of an amateur. Uh, want to be a musician. I've tried many different instruments. I'm now banging away on the drums again, uh, <laughs> which I started to play when I was a younger man. But I grew up listening to everything. My mom was one of the world's biggest Elvis fans. So my house was just chock full of Elvis. Uh, and so, you know, I graduate from that. Uh, when I was a young man in, in Southern Saskatchewan in the 80s, there was only one thing I had 
to combat against really shitty country music and that was <laughs> hair metal so i really got into glam and hair metal like poison and motley Crue and cinderella and rat and all those bands uh, and then is when i hit college that i really kind of expanded my horizons and got into tom petty and got into queen aerosmith was always kind of a big one ever since permanent vacation for me um van halen obviously since 1984 so i'm really kind of a more uh, classic rock guy but I, I have veered in in other directions pop i definitely have a lot of pop favorites yep. um there, there are certain genres i don't delve too much into and that's one of the bands we're we're, we're covering here this this first <laughs> season so some of these songs i'm experiencing for the first time which has been uh very exciting but kevin um if anyone can't tell from the accent he's not native to canada that that's definitely not a canadian accent eh uh, it's a little different. Maybe, maybe uh, tell the folks uh, your background. Yeah, so I'm I'm in one of those pesky, bloody immigrants. I came here stealing all the Canadian jobs, man, and and the women. I mean, literally stole one of your women. So you know, <laughs> I don't know what you're gonna do about that. We've been here for 25 years. You can't get rid of me now. Um, yeah, so I grew up in a town called Wigan uh, in northwest England. It's equidistant between Manchester and Liverpool, so it's a very working class place. Um, lots of music there. Obviously, the Beatles on one side. You've got obviously the Manchester scene on the other side in the in the late 80s, early 90s that I grew up. That was my teenage years. Is the indie scene. So really rich sort of musical um, area. My dad's a guitarist and he played in bands while I was growing up. And so music was always around our house. So I grew up with like, you know, mainly English bands. So the Beatles, not the Stones, but I didn't listen to the Stones, but Free, Queen, The Kinks, The Kinks, man, T-Rex, um, you know, Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, Rainbow, all these great, you know, OG sort of British heavy metal bands, plus a bunch of other stuff like Rod Stewart and then classical music and Earth, Wind and Fire. So music was always a huge part of my life. So my taste is weird. I always think that I'm just atypical because it almost always if someone says, hey, Kev, you should listen to this band. I go, yeah, it's all right. I don't, I don't mind it. But I'm just very selective, right? You know, So if you're going to listen to hard rock and you want to listen to a, a shredder, you listen to Van Halen, man. I'm not going to go listen to, I don't know, fucking Ingve Marble Sting. It's always as melodic as Eddie. He's not as good as Eddie, so... You know, so yeah, I wanted to ask you though, Casey, uh, uh, Casey, I wanted to ask you, Corey, where, um, when you sort of exposed to a band like that, like Elvis or an artist like Elvis, and you've got a, a parent who's a huge fan of one artist, how did that affect your appreciation of that artist? Did it make you love them or did you push back against that? Because you thought, I'm sick of hearing this guy. I don't like him. Like, what's your relationship with Elvis Presley now? You know, I don't recall ever getting sick of him, but um, as I got older and I was actually in university and they started releasing these massive Elvis uh, CD box sets. There was like 25 CDs yeah. in these box sets from three different eras of Elvis's career. And my mom used to get them all. And I used to steal them from her or borrow them and not give them back and, and take them with me. And I, <laughs> I appreciated more and more uh, of, the, of the deeper Elvis stuff. Like, because whenever mom was playing Elvis, it was usually Elvis Christmas at Christmas. And it was like, you know, his 20 greatest hits. Yeah. Pretty much any other time. She had some of his country stuff too, like Flaming Star, some of the soundtracks from his movies and all that that I got kind of sick of. But it was really getting into the the later stuff. And I actually worked for a time for an Elvis impersonator, mm. a fellow by the name of Rory Allen in Saskatchewan. He's kind of a world-renowned Elvis impersonator. Okay. I knew him when he was Rory Osterhout. And he was just, uh, I was working at Tim Hortons. So I was working the drive-thru <laughs> and he would come through every day with this big pompadour and, and get his, you know, large black coffee. And then one day he's like, Hey, uh, I'm looking for a, for an onstage bodyguard. Are you interested? 20 bucks. I'm like, yeah, sure. What the fuck? <laughs> so I find myself at a golf course in Regina, uh, for this big cabaret. And I'm, I'm the, the bodyguard behind him wearing my Elvis t-shirt. I had his scarves for can't help falling in love. I took his guitar, which was just a prop. He didn't know how to play. And I had the set list <laughs> with me. So, so, uh, so he would come up and we had to call him E what's next i have to tell him what was next in the set because <laughs> and it was, it was some of the most fun i ever had was just because these women would go nuts for this guy he's this little yeah. 
like you know ukrainian dude rory osterhout but he looked and he sang <laughs> like elvis yeah. and he and now he's you know he's recorded with with the jordanaires uh in in nashville and stuff like he's actually a, a pretty big deal wow. uh, around these parts uh, yeah i uh quit uh bodyguarding for him like a week before he did his first european tour so oh, that's geez. that that shows you how smart i am so uh no i never got sick of elvis and elvis actually took me uh you know to to a couple of gigs i never thought i would before I would say that my mum, if you listen, mum, hi, mum. My mum's a huge Elvis fan too, and she goes to watch Elvis. I don't know if they're impersonators or tribute. I can't remember, but there's there's one that's offensive to Elvis tribute listeners and one that isn't. Anyways, right. but she listens to this, this kid called Tommy Holland, who's I think he's like 19, 20, or 12 years old. He's, he's super young. The same thing, like the women love him. Well, women of a certain age, let's say that. <laughs> <laughs> and we should exactly. we should say we should say for listen to listeners too that the Jordanaires are very different from the Air Jordans. There's two yes. different things. I got those two different ones. things. Never the twain shall meet. That's right. But now you you grew up uh, across the pond, uh, as they say, uh, listening to a lot of British heavy metal. Were you pining for kind of uh, North American music, or what was your first like really big North American act that you remember listening to? Oh, that's a bloody good question. I think most likely it would have been either Boston or Aerosmith. I think, though, well, Boston definitely my dad listened to, and it's that, you know, I love that big Phil Spector wall of sound approach that they took to rock music because it was rich and it was like almost orchestral and, and so the arrangements. But then the first band that I latched onto probably was Aerosmith or Van Halen even maybe. I know it would have been Van Halen through my my, my pal um, Birchie who sadly passed away to 2017. Um and he got me into Van Halen, and we've had this conversation on your podcast that I it was the Sammy era that I said that was my entry point to Van Halen. I don't even know where this Dave Lee Roth guy, so I was just sort of I was all Sammy all the time. And your podcast has reintroduced me to the earlier stuff, which is fantastic. So I think I think it would have been Van Halen, but I think Boston might have predated that. So none of the sort of like I didn't know Leonard Skinner, I didn't know you know the Allman Brothers, I didn't have any of that. I didn't even CCR, maybe a little CCR. Because they were a pretty big deal all over the world, so but yeah, it took me a long. It, ten, it took moving to a different continent to really discover the richness of uh, North American music. Which you know, as an arrogant Brit, I used to poo poo. <laughs> well, of course you did until you heard Eddie Van Halen like play Eruption for the first time. Then you're Absolutely. like, holy fuck, yeah, what is that? <laughs> yeah, guitars make that noise. Holy shit, <laughs> that that's so cool. You mentioned Boston, like that album was so massive. Like that yeah. first album, like you couldn't escape that, no matter where on earth you were. It's one of those things that you know everyone. Everyone, it's like um, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody, or it's like Jump. It's those songs that are a bit, they're a little bit tired for some people because they've been. And I hate, I hate that word overplayed, but they've been mm -hmm. played so much. But more than a feeling has been played so much because it's an absolutely brilliant pop song. Yep. It's every. It's like it's like you know. It's like Abba. It's like freaking Queen. You know, Radio Gaga. All these songs. There's a reason why they get played so much. Is because everyone knows that people love them. DJs know that that's a surefire hit, right? So. And Bohemian Rhapsody is the funny one because nobody thought that'd be a hit. It was five minutes and 55 seconds <laughs> long and no radio station's going to play this fucking thing and then becomes arguably the biggest song of all time. Absolutely. Well, we should tell people, so podcasting, what is your background with podcasting, Corey? Oh, yeah. I'm fairly new to podcasting just the last few years. <laughs> uh, I used to... Uh, uh, be uh, compete and uh, edit for a movie trivia league, online movie trivia league called the Movie Trivia face off that's what it was called i almost forgot about it there and um i i like i love movies and i love movie trivia so i thought i'd give these guys a hand they were putting together these matches on youtube so i said you know i'm an editor by trade i've been in uh community programming uh, television for the last 20 years so i thought i'll start editing for them and i got to meet some guys like john mariano and mark kamire 
And uh, through that, I kind of became commissioner of one of the movie trivia sub-leagues, the Geekdom, the Inner Geekdom Division, which is all like geek <laughs> movies, which was Mark's forte. So I used to do like a weekly, you know, almost like a, a magazine show where we'd bring the competitors on and talk about their latest match and who they got coming up. We re- yeah. treated it very much like a sports league. And that's how I got to know Mark. But um, that thing went really sour, really fast. People took that way too seriously. And so John left and then I left and then Mark left. But um, John and another fellow that was in this league formed a, a podcast group called Feeding the Monster. And they each did their own show. And uh, after I quit, they invited me to join their uh, podcast network. And I said, oh, yeah, I've always had this show idea I always wanted to do. that I, I wanted to call the power of positive geeking, where people could just come on and geek out about whatever they want in just a safe space where no one's going to make fun of you. If you like The Last Jedi, great. Let's come on and let's talk about it. And I had a whole bunch of guests on, and it was part of this uh, thing. And we did a, a monthly kind of uh, altogether all-star type show called Are We Wearing Pants? And that was John's uh, brainchild. <laughs> and it was just it was just two hours of just comedy. I, I, I use air quotes when I say comedy <laughs> of John Mariano type humor and, and us just having fun. And that went on for, you know, about half a year. And then everyone kind of lost interest there. But it was after Eddie Van Halen passed away. Mark Kameyer asked me to come on his show, which was called Rantings of a Maniac and talk about Eddie Van Halen. Uh, so we did. And it was about an hour, hour and a half episode. And it turned out pretty well. So uh, I was listening to Pot of Thunder one day. I wasn't podcasting at all. And uh, somebody, a, a listener had asked them the question, if you could do another band, who would you do? Because they had done the entire Kiss catalog, which is yeah. 400 plus songs, right? And they said, first of all, we'd never do that. But if somebody wanted to do one, you know, here's some good bands. And Van Halen was at the top of the list. I'm like, well, that'd be perfect because you have two very distinct eras with little with a little Gary Sharon mixed in too. <laughs> and, Apologies and- to Gary. <laughs> <laughs> apologies to Gary and very, uh, you know, eclectic type catalog. They, they, they play different stuff. You don't want to do like a band like ACDC where you're doing like power Ridge. That's a great album. Highway to hell. That's a great album back in black. Well, that's a great album. Like it's, it's all yeah. pretty much the same in a lot of ways. Right. But Van Halen had very differing stuff. You have Van Halen and you have 1984 and you have 5150. Then you have Van Halen three and you know, <laughs> it, it yeah. goes down quite a bit than that. So we thought it'd be an interesting experiment and it was only going to be 120 shows. And that's how kind of, we got this ball rolling. And then John said, Hey, what you and Mark do with Van Halen, that's pretty cool. I always wanted to do one with Aerosmith. Well, fuck. I love Aerosmith too. Let's do that. So there's another three, 400 episode show we're doing. And then <laughs> that morphed into, we should do a monthly show about our favorite music for movies. And now that's a weekly show <laughs> that we just celebrated one year on the air with. So it just doesn't stop. Yeah. But it's, I don't know, it's that thing of this is what you would be doing anyway, in a way, right? That's why I always think about podcasting about music is this is what I do. I talk to my friends about music. So why wouldn't we just record it and put it out there, you know, very arrogantly, because obviously <laughs> everyone else wants to listen to our inane ramblings about this, you know, the subjects we know nothing about, right? So, But look what happened. You met a bunch of like-minded people. Yeah, you, you met yeah. some cool folks. You were, were just talking off air. You were just on the Sean Geek podcast. Uh, which I can attest to that being a, a hell of a lot of fun. You just had yeah. Scott Haskin on your show. I, I hear that was a three-hour marathon. It was a marathon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that, that that's kind of the added benefit. Now, you were telling me before we got started about one of your first podcasts with Randy Woods. Was that your very first podcast? That was my very first podcast. So that was right at the start of the pandemic. But we'd been kind of talking about it just before the pandemic broke. But when the pandemic happened and we all got locked in, it was like, okay, well, this is actually a pretty good time to start thinking about this because... 
gives us something to do. People are available, so they're more a little bit more likely to talk to us. So the idea behind that one was just to talk to local musicians because there's lots of podcasts that discuss major acts, but we thought, you know what, there's tons of talent here in Saskatchewan. We know a lot of it because Randy's a full-time musician. He's gigged a million gigs. He's played with everyone. So we thought we can probably get a few people in that would be, you know, relatively interesting. So we spoke to Jay Semko from Northern Pikes, and we spoke to Sheldon Dingwall, who's one of the premier luthiers in, in the world. And we got these, these bits, some of our friends on, and, you know, all these kinds of people. So... And a band called, oh, Weapons, have you heard of those guys? But they've got like a three instead of the E. They're, kind of hard, they're a hard rock band in, yep. in, in Saskatoon. So just as they were starting to, you know, get a little bit of a curve going, we got those guys on. And we thought, you know what, we'll sit down and we'll do it and we'll just see what it's like. And so that's where you learn that interviewing people or sort of having that conversation with people that's supposed to have some sort of form, it's a lot tougher than it looks. People are really good at it, make it look really easy, but you've got to know when to shut the fuck up and let the other person talk. you got to know to pay attention, actually ask questions that make it sound like you're listening rather than just going through, well, this question and then that question and this question. And okay, thank you, bye-bye, which a lot of shows do. So that was good. We cut our teeth there, right? We kind of learned, okay, well, actually, I think I'm not too bad at it. I think it's okay. I think I've got some stuff I need to work on. But And so from there, it was like, okay, well, that kind of, we did 13 episodes, 12, 13 episodes, and we enjoyed it, but work commitments changed and we sort of dropped it. So I was looking around for something else to do, and I was sitting around drinking about just over 18 months ago and thought, you know what? You know what no one's ever done? I bet you no one's ever done a full a podcast that's just one song at a time about a certain artist all the way through the catalog. This is a, a brilliant, unique idea. I'm going to do this and everyone's going to think I'm a genius. And I literally set that up and started doing it before I'd even checked if anyone else was doing a Tom Petty podcast, before anyone else was doing it like a catalog podcast. Of course, find out that this is a really, really prolific thing that everyone does for good reasons it's fun to do and then sort of found like you said found the deep dive podcast network i met you i've met sean i met like so many genuinely just awesome cool people who were also just very very supportive right like a, a guy setting out a podcast you look at regarding lulu it's a good example of one of the shows in the network that was a person who just listened to a bunch of those shows had this idea and got a ton of support from people because people are just really enthusiastic about people who want to do this, right? So I think that support and that network makes it such an easy thing. And then, of course, the culmination of that for me was when I was listening to you in the lap of the pods and I thought, you know what? I love Queen. I love And The Podcast Will Rock as a, as a show and as a format. I want to mash those two together. So that's when I reached out and said, hey, Corey, can I steal this just absolutely wholesale and just apply that as a franchise almost, that format to the band Queen? And I think that's, you know, again, that's just, and so we would, and we ended up talking about this podcast and the rest is history, as they say. Well, uh, two of the things I admire most about you, one is um, your interview style, because that's something I don't do well, is, is interview guests. And uh, whenever we get guests on our show, uh, I'm always, I, I just want it to be more of a conversation. We're talking about, you know, we're going to spin the wheel, we're going to talk about the song, because I don't think I interview very well. You do that exceptionally well. Everyone keeps telling us, oh, you should get Greg Bissonette on the show. You should try and get so-and-so on the show. It's like, I wouldn't know the first fucking thing to ask him. I'd just be like, hey, so I'd be like Chris Farley on the Chris <laughs> Farley show. Like, hey, Paul McCartney, do you remember when you were in the Beatles? like that that's how we do it that so was that's awesome yeah. <laughs> and, and number two is that you can do it carry a show on your own which i think is incredibly hard to do so many people do it poorly and it's something i definitely don't have the talent to do but you pull it off exceptionally well in the tom petty project oh thanks man that's very very kind so i, I genuinely appreciate that and it is it is very different like it, you know because the, the petty thing I, I mean really it was it was just like you know what i think It'll be fun to do, and it'll give me something to do, a bit of something creative to do. But also, I'll probably learn a shit ton about that music. So I really, just, and I still really do it mainly for me. But it just, it turns out, like you said, you, you find this audience and you realize that other people enjoy it. And you think, okay, well, I can build a few of those pieces in, but I'm still going through the catalog 
for my own education and enrichment of musical appreciation, all those kinds of things. So and that's what I'm looking forward to on this show, because, uh, you know, this is something that, you know, we can pick different bands uh, each season. Uh, we can split the bigger discographies in, into a couple of uh, spots. Um, because uh, we're, I'm doing backtracks theme music and we're doing like one song from one movie. So it's like, well, what if I really like eight songs from that soundtrack? Now yeah. I'm screwed, right? So now I have an outlet for that, and I can maybe cover those those uh, other songs I couldn't do on that show. So I'm really trying to cover all my bases here on, on every yeah. single show I do. Well, it's going to be fun too because we've got there's a lot of crossover in our musical taste. So there's going to be a lot of stuff where we're fairly similar. I think we're going to find a lot of common ground. But there's definitely going to be stuff that I love, and you're going to be thinking, "What the holy <laughs> fucking green shit is this, Brian?" And and like, I don't even, yeah, I don't know what this is, Corey. This is, let me get into hair metal. There's going to be some hair metal. I'm going to be like, eh, I don't know, dude. <laughs> I can't wait for those shows. And, and because we have those kind of differing viewpoints, we thought this would be a really great one. And uh, why don't you tell the folks uh, why we decided to, to, to start with this particular band? Well, it was a sidebar conversation. I think it was on, was it on the live stream, the Van Halen live stream first episode? Was that the, when you were talking about, well, we may as well reveal the band. We were talking about Genesis. Mm-hmm. Or was it on, I can't, it was on one of your podcasts. I, I think it was on Aerosmith, actually, because. Oh, it was uh, on Aerosmith? Okay. Yeah. And we talked about Genesis, and I just sort of sidebarred, and I said, hey, kind of half-jokingly, and said, hey, look, if you ever want to do a Genesis podcast, I'm totally in, because I'm a huge Genesis fan. All eras, I like most of the catalog. I know most of the catalog pretty, pretty well. And you kind of came back and said, yeah, well, we should do it. And we'd also been talking a little bit about doing a different show or a different format. And that would be in sort of me, you and another person. And this kind of idea of um, rating certain things and having this kind of scale. So, so I think we kind of glommed those two things together and thought, yeah, I think actually when we started talking about it, it's like, there's something here. I think we could actually do this. And I think it would be good. Yeah. It's uh, it kind of stemmed from my idea. I want to do something a little different with a music podcast where we were kind of uh, you know, rating the music, like, like giving it a, a number grade and, and coming up with, yep. with, with a final total. I watch a lot of Food Network with my wife and a lot of the food <laughs> shows, the competition shows run on that premise. So like, that'd be really interesting to do with music. And uh, yeah, so uh, the one I originally pitched uh, that was going to involve a couple other folks was really, really involved and really kind of convoluted. And you and I were just chatting uh, one evening just over Facebook Messenger, like, oh, yeah, we could do this, we could do this. And just it was very organic and very simple. So it's like taking those two ideas, like you said, mashing them together. And we came up with the ultimate catalog clash where, you know, we're going to grade each album out. and We're going to come up with a winner of, of what we think. Uh, combined is the best uh, album from that band's discography, and yeah, we decided to start with uh, with Genesis. Now, there's a, a a band that has a pretty varied discography. There's what like 15 albums, uh, so we thought, you know, and, and we're gonna each episode is gonna be a side of the record, right? So that's 30 shows. So let's split it into two. So we're actually gonna start with the Phil Collins era because that's the era that I'm fans of. I think on the Aerosmith show, I said I would do a Genesis show just Phil Collins, though. Fuck Peter Gabriel. That's um, it. That's exactly what well, that was. It. Yeah, that was the spark. Yeah. And you know what? I, I was watching over the weekend. Uh, Genesis has some great documentaries, but I was watching uh, some of the parts uh, on Blu-ray again to prepare for this. Yeah. And th- they're playing clips of Peter Gabriel, and he's wearing his wife's dress and the fox in. I'm like, what the <laughs> bloody fuck is this? Like, this is just the dumbest shit, and this music is awful. But then we get into the Phil Collins stuff, and it gets good. So um, uh, I'm not anticipating the Peter Gabriel season so much, but... Uh... <laughs> But there's well, one of those differing viewpoints we're going to have, right? Maybe you'll yeah. school me on, on Peter Gabriel and why 28 fucking minutes of Supper's Ready is a worthwhile listen. It is one of the best 
pieces of music ever recorded. <laughs> I mean, it's got the line, there's a line in that song, we're happy as fish and gorgeous as geese and wonderfully clean in the morning. I mean, come on, dude, you've got to be on board with that. That, that is awfully British. I'll, I'll put it that way. <laughs> oh, they, they are very British and very, so it's almost like that because the Kings had that too, right? Where they've got a, there's an element to the, where they're talking about sort of the old days in Britain. That's a very specific thing. And you can catch on to some of it, but unless you are British and unless you sort of grown up, grew up in a certain era, a lot of that stuff, it just doesn't land. It's kind of like I always make the 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 allegory for Canadians, at least, with Corner Gas. Like, I know mechanically why Corner Gas is funny, and I know where the beats are, and I know it's well written, I know it's well performed, but because I don't have that context, it just doesn't really make me laugh. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, when you live here, it, it makes a whole lot more sense. Yeah, like even the line in the song, uh, "You could tell me your dog ran away and that it took three days." Like that's a that's a Saskatchewan <laughs> joke, right? Like yeah. I watched my dog run away for days and days and days. So, yeah, shit like that we get, or like the surveillance bush. The cop is, you know, yeah. parked the cruiser yeah. behind the surveillance bush because we had no trees here. So, uh, shit like that when you're native to Saskatchewan is hilarious. So how did what what's your experience with Genesis then, Corey? Because like I said, I mean, I know that you're a Phil Collins guy, and obviously, I'm I'm sure you heard. You know, Invisible Touch on the radio, Mama, you know, uh, some of the stuff off Gen- the Genesis, self-titled Genesis stuff. When do you, what, do you remember sort of the first time you heard Genesis and what's been your, what's been your experience with it? You know what, I, I think the very first song I remember really sticking with was Illegal Alien. Uh, ah, because that, right. that video was all over much music at the time. And it, it, it's a great video when, you know, that's yeah. all came from that album. So a little bit there, but Invisible Touch exploded uh, in 1986. And so that, that was the first Genesis album I bought. Uh, and that, that, that thing was a monster, especially in Canada when you had you yeah. know, invisible touch and land of confusion and, uh, throwing it all the way and in too deep, just, you know, hit after hit after hit. Uh, and then we can't dance was another big one. So it was after a uh, kind of visible touch. I kind of went back into the back catalog a little bit, but I didn't go too deep. I think yeah. I only went back to self-title because that had, that's all. And that had illegal alien and stuff on it. Mama. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't really go past that in terms of albums so when he said we're doing uh, phil collins well the first album with phil collins was a trick of the tail which yeah. you know los endos i remember hearing because i have the uh the live dvd in the documentary of their 2007 reunion and they always yeah. played los endos at the end of the night so I, I i recognized that one but a lot of this music i'd never heard before so that was exciting for me and that it was a first time listen but uh, you i understand are, are, are quite familiar with this record Oh yeah, man. I mean, so my I kind of had a bit of a circuitous route with Genesis. Of course, like everyone, I mean, like you said, I mean, Invisible Touch was it was kind of the record at the time. Like that was the biggest thing in the world. And Genesis were at that point one of the biggest bands on the planet. They were playing stadiums, I mean packing out stadiums across the world. But my so my sort of start with Genesis was, and I'm pretty sure I'm remembering this right. And I did ask my mum about one certain part of this, but my dad, one of the bands my dad used to be in. His drummer in that band was a guy named Cole Holcroft, who unfortunately isn't with us anymore. But he was a huge because a drummer, so of course he was a huge uh, Genesis fan. Mm-hmm. So he had burned, or sorry, not burned, but there you go. Uh, it made a, a tape for my mum of just like general, like a, a greatest hits kind of thing, but not really. It was something, yeah, Illegal Alien was on there. Um, Taking it all too hard might have been on there. There's a whole bunch of songs on there that weren't really the hits. And then there was this track on there called Los Enus, which I later found out was actually Los Endos, but the D didn't have the tail, so it looked like a noose. But, I, but and so it was like that Los Enos. <laughs> How have you lost your arsehole? I mean, come on, where have you left it? Why did you put it down in the first place? Fucking Brits lost their assholes. 
to the French of all people. No, anyway, so, <laughs> but for some reason, and I remember I've got a very visceral memory that that was sort of really intriguing to me, just those two words, Los Enus. And then sort of, I, you know, same thing as you, I stole that tape from my mom and listened to it. I thought, these guys are very different to anything else I've listened to. They're not Led Zeppelin and they're not Deep Purple and they're not the Beatles and they're not the Kings. They're doing this other thing. And I didn't know what prog was, but it sounds totally different and it's keyboard driven. So I was a keyboard player when I grew up. I played piano when I had piano lessons for a year when I was seven and was a shithead and wouldn't practice. So he got rid of go. But I'm a keyboard player. So getting a band that's keyboard led, it's like, okay, well, I can really relate to this. And it's not Jean Michel Jarre. It's not Yanni. There's actually melodies and there's lyrics and there's all sorts of songs going on here. So kind of that was cool. But then mum and dad divorced, skip forward a few years. Mum remarries a guy named Paul, my stepdad, and they're still together, very happily married for 25 years now. Um, and he was a huge Genesis fan. And so when we started sort of talking, and he's a big music fan generally, he introduced me to Peter Gabriel or Genesis, and I didn't know all that existed, right? So, in your, you know, I know what I like from Nursery Crime and Supper's Ready from Foxtrot and all these songs that just hit exactly the right spot that was missing. I've got the hard rock thing filled with Led Zeppelin and Aerosmith and, and Van Halen and all those kind of things. I've got my reggae shit and scar thing with the police and you know the specials and all that kind of stuff i've got all these little bits and pieces but what i was missing was that little prog piece and that synthy kind of just really weird eclectic kind of thing and genesis just fell right into that hole that was missing in my little musical catalog right so that's kind of how i came around and i've just been a huge fan ever since and i would say there's two or three albums in the catalog that i just don't really listen to and i don't know that well one of them is in the collins era so it'll be kind of interesting to go back and listen to some of those songs. But overall, they're a band that I'm very, 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 very familiar with. And I wish I could play drums like Phil Collins, dude. That guy's a monster and hugely underrated on drums. Oh, there's a reason why everybody asked Phil to join their sessions and, and play with them, right? Like, even when Led Zeppelin's reforming for Live Aid, right? Well, oh, we don't talk about Phil. that. <laughs> yeah, it's not we don't that talk bad. about that carnage. It's, it's not that bad. I, I, I've seen it a few times. It's not as bad as they let on, but yeah, it's... Nah, poor Phil, what? though. I don't know what Jimmy Page's problem. Well, apart from him being Jimmy Page, and he is a dick. I mean, yeah. one of the greatest riff writers of all time, but the guy's an insufferable arsehole. I don't know what his problem was, because Phil Collins was doing nothing wrong in that gig. No, not at all. And you remember, he had fl uh, flown on the Concorde that day, right? He played uh, Britain early, yep. and then he flew over uh, to America to do another set. So, yeah. But yeah, totally underrated drummer. But I, I thought it interesting that he said, uh, I really liked that it was keyboard-driven. If you want a keyboard-driven yeah. band, Tony Banks runs this band <laughs> from start to finish, right? Yeah. And, and in this particular album, we're going to be talking about very, very much. There, there, a lot of my notes are like, is Steve Hackett on this? Where's Steve Hackett? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's all Tony Banks, it seems like. <laughs> yeah, so it's, I was so pleased when we, you know, we kind of decided that we were going to do this. And it was a great entry point because, again, it's, it's a real comfort level thing for me. But I was also very cognizant that when we were talking about it, it's like, well, I think Corey's coming into Genesis at a different point than we're going to be starting. If we start with the first album, because we had a conversation about do we do we start with the first album? Do we do one side randomly from each album? So I think, you know, and we decided that we will do them sequentially because I think that does make sense because then you can see the evolution, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. But I thought that, you know, trick of the tail, man, that's there's still, you know, we'll talk about it on the on the next episode, but it's it's not invisible touch. So I was kind of no. curious to see. Okay, I'm kind of curious to see what Corey thinks of this. Yeah, they're they're definitely more on the Peter Gabriel side of things uh, musically, but th there's little hints. Uh, about where, where they would go uh, in that album. So I'm very, very anxious to get into it. Uh, what do you say we wrap this one up and uh, get ready for episode one, side A of A Trick of the Tale? I think we absolutely should do that. And you know what, folks? We've already got, by the time this goes out, we've already got social media. So you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Ultimate Catalog Clash. 
Come talk to us. Come tell us we're wrong. Come tell us we're right. I'm a little bit gentler than Mark Kamire, so if you come at me, I'll be a little bit more gentle. I won't tell you to fuck off, but well, I might do. Who knows? It depends on what time I have to drink. So. <laughs> so, yeah, tune in next week, folks. We're going to be talking about Genesis Trick of the Tale from, what year is it, Corey? It's 1976, right? 1976, correct. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, we'll see you next week, folks. Thank you.